Well, you go. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Of course, I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm glad that you're with us. We are in the middle of our series, Here Comes the Son, has been looking at the attributes of Jesus as he's revealed them to us in the book of Revelation. And as we go through this series, one of the things that is important for us to remember is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, it's so important that we remember that, that it's our memory verse for the series. So there we go. Just say it along with me. We'll put this into our hearts and minds. Three, two, one. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. All right, again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And last time, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. Isn't that amazing that we have a God who doesn't change, that he is consistent, that we, we know who he is, and like the God of the Old Testament is not different than the God that we have now. In fact, that's one of the things we're going to learn today as we go into the Word, um, the next little bit as we discover about who Jesus is. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up with me to the book of Revelation. Now, of course, that's the last book in Scripture, and uh, that's where we've been this entire series. And this series really is based around starting in verse 9 of chapter 1. I'm going to go through and just read from there the rest of that little passage as Jesus reveals himself to us. And then we're going to focus there on, I think, verse 15 and a little bit into chapter 2 as well this morning. So starting in verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now, so far as we've been going through this series, we've been taking a couple of those attributes that we read in that passage every single week and uh, really talking about what do those mean. This is an apocalyptic vision. John saw this, but every one of those things that he saw has deep significance. And so we started with his location that he stands amongst the seven golden lampstands. And of course, he holds the seven stars and God reveals to us that he is present amongst the churches, and he holds the authority over the churches. Then we, we look at his clothing in there, that he wears this white robe with the golden sash, and, and realize in there that he's talking about his, his complete and total righteousness, his royal righteousness, and his authority over all things. And then, last week, we began looking at some of the attributes he shows himself. He has the woolly white hair, right? I talked about the ancient of days, all of this wisdom, and how he's internally present in there and, and how he uh, continues to, to rule in our lives with those uh, eyes of flame, right? Those pure vision that he sees and so he judges justly in this world. And today we continue on in that and we look at verse uh, 14. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound 
of rushing water. The two attributes that we're going to talk about today, and that, of course, is got these bronzy feet and the voice like many waters. So let's start with there, the feet like bronze. Uh, what is this? Well, again, as in all of these things in Revelation, they're, they're pointing back to previous things that uh, how Jesus had revealed himself earlier, and this time to the prophet Daniel. Remember last week, chapter 10, it, this is Daniel's vision of... Uh, of the Lord as he shows up to give him the vision of really all of the, the end of time, how it's going to work out uh, all of the empires when they rise and fall. And he says, I looked up there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold of Ufaz around his waist. There's the white and gold there. His body was like topaz. His face was shining like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and legs gleam with burnished bronze and his voice the sound of a multitude, all right? If that sounds a lot like what we just read, there is a reason for that, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oftentimes, when we uh, go into our faith, and, we, and when I was younger in my faith, I often mistook the grace and the mercy of God that we see now as perhaps a completely different type of God than there was in the Old Testament, but nothing could be further from the truth. That the same God who is the God then is the God who is the God of, our, uh, of, of, of this earth when he came down and put on flesh, and we're going to celebrate that in a few weeks, and he's the one who's coming back as well. And you'll notice in here that he has these gleaming uh, burnished bronze legs, and he's got this loud voice. Now, here it says like a multitude. John says uh, that it's like the rushing waters. We're going to cover that in just a minute. But first, let's look at what is the, why burnished bronze legs? Why is it he continues to show up like this? Well, one thing about bronze is that it has some interesting properties. It was made of copper and tin. It was one of the earliest ages as a technological advancement that, that brought people into it. And when they were able to combine copper and tin, they produced a, a material that was not only incredibly beautiful, like you could polish it and look gorgeous, but it was also very tough. In fact, it was so tough that it was able to withstand super, super high heats without being destroyed or burning up or things like that. And, and for, uh, for that reason, we find it's not uh, surprising that it was actually used in the tabernacle. You remember when we talked about all the furniture in the tabernacle and the outer courts, all of those, the two pieces of furniture there, there are made of bronze. And one of them there is the altar itself, which was covered in bronze because it wouldn't burn up. It, that's the thing, and it was a very durable, tough, it could handle high heat. And we see Jesus showing up with feet that are glowing like bronze in a furnace, right? And not only that, but then behind it, we see that the water basin that was there, which would be used, was also made of bronze, because bronze wouldn't burn up in heat. It was pure. It was strong and it was pure, so the, it would wash off or wash away the sins of the priest, making them ritually clean and all of this, and it wouldn't be contaminated itself. Those are two really important qualities of bronze, and when Jesus shows up, he shows up with bronze and legs. He's able to withstand the flames, right? He's able to stand in this world and not become contaminated. That is fantastic, when we think about this, but I love that it's not just that his whole body was bronze. He has his legs are bronze, and he's standing there amongst the people. He, he, he has feet on the ground. This is not a guy, this is not a God in the sky that's out there somewhere that, you know, we pray to and hope that he hears us. Jesus shows up, and his feet are on the very turf that we walk upon, that he is with us, and he's able to withstand the 
wickedness of this world, the heat and the fire and the flames, and he himself will never be contaminated by this world. And there he stands, impervious to sin. He is completely strong, and he will not be destroyed. That's pretty amazing. But what's interesting about this is that his feet aren't just made of bronze. They are glowing like they are in the flames. That Jesus stands amongst the fire with us. That our lives are not always easy. You ever feel like you're in the flames? Scripture says you are. It says that this world has all these things. It's like flames. It's purifying us. It's very difficult. You know that God isn't watching you from a distance? That Jesus shows up with bronze and leg. He's not going to run when things get hot. He's there to stand with you, and he's not moving away. His legs may be glowy, but it's not destroying him. He's there with us. This is our God. That's fantastic. Beyond that, he speaks with a unique voice, like a voice like many waters. Now, Daniel 10 said a voice like a multitude, right? Well, let's go back to another prophet who also had an apocalyptic vision of God in his throne room. In fact, a, a guy named Ezekiel, he was a contemporary of Daniel. And while he was there getting his commissioning to go into uh, service as a prophet of God, God gave him an apocalyptic vision and brought him in the spirit to the throne room of heaven. And while he's there, he sees God on his throne and it is amazing vision. And not only that, but he had these four different creatures that are around the, the throne, you know, like moving and doing all these things. And he writes about those creatures this, when I heard the creatures move, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And that's basically the war cry of an army, the voice of a multitude. Now, yes, this is talking about the sound of the, those four creatures as they move, but what does he liken the sound to? God's voice. When they move, it sounds like God's speaking. And what does God's voice sound like? Well, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of a multitude, like the war cry of an army. You know, later on in his ministry, Ezekiel had another apocalyptic vision. And this time, it was, uh, he had a vision of God's uh, spirit coming back into the temple. Now, this was written when the temple was destroyed. Ezekiel was, was not there, at the, and the temple wasn't even there. And he has this vision that God says, I'm going to not only rebuild my temple, but I'm going to come back to it in my glory. Right? And when he sees this vision... Later on in his life, he says this, I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and his land was radiant with his glory. Again, his voice sounding like these rushing waters, like the sound of a multitude. Earlier on, when John first got his, his, uh, his uh, um, call there in Revelation, when the, menace, when the vision first started, it says like a voice of a trumpet, a loud trumpet. The point here, God speaks with power. He speaks loudly. Do you remember when we had that flood in 2013? Yeah, I've tried to forget it. Um, that was fun. But there is something about the sound of that water when it was rushing through the, the big Thompson and all that kind of stuff. That was, that's, a, that's an amazing sound. Or if you've watched uh, the news when they had uh, hurricanes or, or those types of things, the sound of that, that rushing water is power, isn't it? This is the point that that our God does not speak with a weak voice. He speaks with great power and with great authority. Now, yes, he does have a still, quiet voice. Sometimes we have that still, small voice that we listen to the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean he's weak. 
And it doesn't mean that he's telling little tiny secrets. Our God's truths are, are, are declared with power. He's not embarrassed to speak, and he speaks with great power, great authority. And guess what? Jesus said that as his flock, his people would know his voice. This is not the voice of a regular man. He speaks with a voice with much more power than that. So when Jesus shows up with, to John and he speaks with the voice of God, it's not just he's speaking on behalf of God. He's not just a prophet of God. He speaks with the voice of God here because he is God. And so what is this God of bronze and water? What does it have to do with us? That he, he shows up with this, 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 these two amazing attributes. I think we look at this and we recognize that, that Jesus is powerful. He's not a weak God. He doesn't, he's not like one of many other gods. He sits along with the pantheon and he's, he's just like everybody else. Now, Jesus doesn't coexist alongside anybody. He is unique and he is powerful. He is present in our lives. That's huge, right? It shows us that he is invincible. He's not going to be destroyed or knocked down or burnt up or to run away, right? He is in command and he will not be silenced. These are the attributes of Jesus. Now, there was a church, one of those seven, that John was told to write a letter to that needed to be reminded of this. And that was the church of Thyatira. Now, the church of Thyatira was the fourth church of, of the seven that uh, John was told to write to. Right? It's right there in kind of the middle way through. It's halfway. And of all of the churches that John wrote to, it's kind of probably one of the least significant cities that was written. Thyatira was um, kind of a craftsman and a blue-collar kind of town. Uh, they did a lot of uh, uh, bronze work there. And the reason they did bronze work, because it was a little bit of a tourist destination. And the reason it was a little bit of a tourist destination is in Thyatira was a temple to this particular god that was there. Uh, it was Apollo. Apollo was the god of the sun, like with every... Uh, Greek god and Roman god had a star or something after. This was the god had the sun, so it was kind of important. He was the son of Zeus, so the son of God in a way, this powerful big god, um, and, and it was very important in their pantheon. Well, because uh, Apollo was so important in their pantheon, the temple of Apollo got a, had a very special person who was pre, got to preside over it. It was an oracle of Sybil. Now, it was, to be an oracle of Sybil was just a few, like a handful of, of women in the ancient world who were said to be prophetess, able to speak to and on behalf as mouthpieces of particular gods. And so these women had great power and authority. They were able to tell you the secret things that these gods would say. So if you wanted to know maybe what Apollo had to say... She, Apollo had a mouthpiece, mouthpiece there, the Oracle of Sybil. So she was there in that same community of Thyatira. So people would travel around, and then they would come into Thyatira, and they would go worship Apollo, and then they would buy these little bronze idols that they could take home. Because in Estes Park, we understand how that is, people, right? And so they would have these little bronze idols, and, and they would take them home. And whilst they were there, they would try to at least listen to maybe what this oracle had to say. Because she served as basically the prophetess of, of Apollo and that temple. Well, there's a church there. And, and this church is living in this city. And, and Jesus tells John to write this to them. He says to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write this. These are the words of the Son of God. Not Apollo, but the real God, the Son. <laughs> the one with bronze legs and a powerful voice who stands amongst you. 
And guess what? He has these attributes. His eyes are like blazing fire. We talked about that last week. He, he judges things. He sees them absolutely as they truly are. And his feet were like burnished bronze. He stands amongst them with all of those attributes we talked about before. He's in the flames with them, right? He's not movable. He's invincible. He's powerful, right? He's, and I love this, that they had these little idols of bronze that if you go there, you could you find these little bronze idols to, uh, uh, you know, sometimes dug in under the ground and stuff. Uh, then, but Jesus shows up not as an idol, but as the living God with these bronze and legs. How cool is that? And so he writes to this church and he says this, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. This is a good church. I mean, they, they had the things right. Ephesus got the love wrong, but, but, but not Thyatira. They continue to love God. And they obviously loved other people. And not only that, they have faith, right? They didn't miss out on their faith. We'd, they weren't like, you know, uh, Sardis or whatever who kind of mixed up their faith a little bit or whatever. They, were, they had solid faith. They, they had service. They were putting their, their love into action, right? They, were, they got off the sidelines and they were in the game. They were actually serving one another and they had perseverance. It's not as though they weren't being, you know, there wasn't any opposition to their faith in their community. They faced some and they were continuing to be faithful in this community. In fact, it wasn't just a healthy church. It was a growing church. It says, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That, that maybe they were growing numerically, but Absolutely, they seemed like their faith was growing in depth, that they saw greater and greater of, uh, expression of their faith in their life. This seems to be a pretty healthy church. But he goes on to say, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The church itself was solid, and that was great. Their problem was is they were tolerating this false prophet who lived in their own community. Now, they didn't participate with her. They were faithful. Their problem is they tolerated this false religion. They just let it go. And who does Jesus liken this false prophet to? Jezebel. And for those of you who are Bible scholars, you know Jezebel's not a person you want to be associated with. Jezebel, she was the wife of King Ahaz, who was, he was a, or Ahab, he was a, a king of northern Israel. And, and what he did do is he didn't keep the people faithful. Even though he was a king of God's people, he and his wife, particularly his wife, decided to bring in all these, these false gods that worshipped, they were the prophets of Baal. And they did all these horrible things, and she led the nation spiritually astray. And God so many times in Scripture says that spiritual infidelity to him feels like what marital infidelity feels like to us. It's just as wicked. And so this woman Jezebel led the people into basically becoming spiritual prostitutes, even though they were the bride of God himself. And he says that this woman is doing the same thing. This false religion was leading people away from the one true God. And even though they weren't God's people, this was Thyatira, this wasn't the Jewish people, the kingdom of God was now open to everybody. 
And this false religion was leading people into acts of sin and death away from God. Look at what her teaching was doing. It's just look at what she's teaching. It's leading them into lifestyles that are contradictory to what God teaches, into sexual immorality, into practice of idolatry. This is bad. And this healthy church in this community was tolerating it. And many of us in our culture say, well, of course, because it was a good church. And tolerance is our number one virtue as a culture. It's not so much what tolerance is which is the issue. It's what we tolerate. This church was not wrong because they were tolerating their neighbors who disagreed. The fact is they were letting this false religion go unchecked. They weren't standing up in opposition to it. They're kind of like, well, you do you and we do us. You have your son of God you worship. We have a son of God we worship. We're basically the same. All religions are basically the same. And Okay, we're not going to cause any problems for you. Just don't cause any problems for us. And we're not going to challenge your bad ideas. But those bad ideas were leading real people to a very real hell. And that's what he goes on to talk about next. He says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Do you understand that, that we as people, we don't like this very much. We like to be all lovey and everybody's all the same and equal and all that kind of stuff, right? And we don't want to stand out against that. We don't want to challenge somebody because we don't want to offend them. But I think at first as Christians, we should be asking this. Are we offending God? That we should be far less concerned about offending other people if we do not care about offending God. Because our God... He is real. He is just. He stands with bronze feet amongst us and speaks with the, with the voice of a multitude. He is a powerful being who is very good. And he deserves our loyalty and fidelity. And it offends him deeply when people would do so much as to worship a piece of metal or a star in the sky and not the God who made them. And there is a very real consequence for very real people who worship very false gods. And it is not loving for those of us who know the truth to sit idly by while the people in our world die at the feet of idols and stay under the wrath of our powerful God who would call them his children if they would do nothing more than repent. Look at this passage. What is the call of God that he wants to do? Does he want to judge them? Even this woman Jezebel, even this oracle, this mouthpiece for a demon, says, I'm giving her time to repent. No one is outside the purview of God's grace and mercy. And look at, he says, even the children, those are the followers of this false religion. They will be destroyed. They'll die. But there's a, there's a hope for them if they would just turn. You see, the church, oftentimes, we get called up in the wrong thing with our culture. I would love my neighbors. We're called to tolerate people who disagree with us. We love them. But we have to love them enough we do not tolerate the wrong things that are destroying them. 
So the voice of the church shouldn't be tolerance, tolerance, I tolerate everything you believe. The message shouldn't be, oh, we're all one and we're all the same. The message of the church is repent because our God is real. And repentance is not a bad, mean word. Repentance is a word of hope. It means there's still hope for you. That God still loves you while there is time. Turn to Him now. And get this, if this offends you, okay. God is not concerned about offending you. You should be concerned about offending Him. And we sang songs today how God is faithful to us. Yeah, that's awesome. He will never be anything but faithful. My question, are you faithful to Him? Are you willing to follow Him? And are you willing to love the people in your world enough to challenge the wrong ideas that are destroying them? This is what the church missed here. But he goes on. He says, when God's judgment is understood and the reality of the importance that we worship our true God and that, that there is judgment and, and that God is righteous, he says, all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will pay each of you according to your deeds. Now, God doesn't call the church at Thyatira to repent. He calls the people that are living in a sinful world to repent. This is a healthy church. But even to the people in Thyatira, he says, you need to know, I search heart and minds. I know your thoughts and feelings. But how many people in our culture say, well, yeah, there's a lot of good people in all kinds of religions. Scripture says, God knows our hearts and minds. He sees things as they truly are. We also find in Scripture that God says that there is not one good person. No, not one. And I would go even through this room. We could go through and say, have you never sinned? Because if you said so, we'd all know you're a liar. <laughs> right? None of us. It says in Scriptures that God himself won't have to condemn us. Our own hearts will do that for us. God knows our hearts and minds. And every person who lives outside of the grace of God lives every single day, either under self-delusion, trying to be good enough, but knowing they're not perfect, or under heavy weight of guilt, knowing that they're not good enough. But the great thing about God is that we can be saved by His grace simply through faith. That this amazing God came to this world to die for broken sinners while we were still His enemies. That He desires for all people to come to His knowledge of who He is. He, he ended the war by declaring a great peace first by paying the penalty we deserve for our infidelity to him. This is not a, just a mean, wrathful God who's looking up there to strike people dead. He wants us to turn our lives, to come back. He searches our hearts and minds. That whole thing that he's going to repay us each according to our deeds is a little bit sobering. How have you applied that? I think for us in the church or as the church, we can do all the right things. We can be full of faith and love and all those types of things. We could be growing and doing all this stuff, but if we fail to challenge the satanic lies of the world, do we really love the people around us? That God came to free us from this death. We need to know that he is the one who absolutely knows truth. In verse 24, he goes on to say, now to the rest of you in Thyatira, that's the church, right? They were there in the midst of this pagan culture, all this. He said, I, 
You who do not hold to her teachings, who do not learn to her Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose upon you any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. God's not putting something huge and heavy on us. He's just hold on to this truth. And I want you to notice this too. I love how Jesus just mocks false religion because we think we're so deep. And before I became a Christian, you know, I, I, some, in my history, I studied other and I practiced other religions at first to see which one was real. And I'll tell you, when you're doing that, you really feel just deep and spiritual. Like you have these deep thoughts. And Jesus calls that out. He's like, what you think are deep thoughts are nothing more than a scummy puddle. Right? It's just like this dead water. It doesn't go anywhere. It's just dirty and shallow. But instead of standing in this dirty, scummy little puddle, thinking that you're somehow swimming, the God of living water speaks truth to our souls. He fills us with the voice of many waters. He fills us with a life that becomes abundant and flows out so it blesses the world around us. Real depth is found in Him, in His Word. Why would we not want everyone to know this? And so He says to us, hold on. He's coming back. There is a day coming there will be no more idols. Isn't that amazing? There's going to be no more lies. In fact, the prince of lies himself will be thrown into a lake of fire. How awesome is that? Hell itself will be thrown into a lake of fire. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be there. He's going to purify everything. There's a day coming where we will experience the fullness of God's grace and his mercy, unmitigated goodness for eternity, right? Hold on, but know this, now that we need to hold on to him, we need to be faithful now, love our world enough because my salvation is already set, but my my neighbor's is not. I have people that I love very dearly who still don't know God's grace and his goodness. Do I love them enough to challenge the wrong beliefs that are leading them to destruction, that are putting them in opposition to God? Verse 26, he says, if you do, if you hold on to him, there's actually even greater benefit than just being able to to stand with this great God. He says, the one who's victorious, to the end, I will give authority over the nations. This was really important for me because oftentimes I never wanted to challenge other people's ideas because I thought, who am I? Right? Who am I? Who's, well, I don't want to be this person that's all arrogant to say, well, I have a corner on truth or things like that, right? And then I realized that we're not on equal ground. It's not that I have a corner on truth. It's that truth has a corner on me. And the reality is that when I became born again, I was born again into God's kingdom as his child. And I now have the right to speak on behalf of the king of the universe as to what is true because I speak on behalf of truth himself. This is not an equal argument. This is not some person's great ideas about who God is versus my great ideas of who God is. This is God's revelation of who he is versus people's crazy ideas of who they think he might be. We're not on equal terms. I speak with great authority. In fact, at Sunday, it says that we will actually even sit in authority with God. So be bold. Don't let the devil trick you into thinking that you don't have a right to speak the gospel. We have a responsibility to love the world enough to share. And not only did he give us his great authority and power, the power he gives us uh, great glory too. This is just Jesus flexing, right? He says, if you do that, I'll also give that person the morning star. You have 
You have this temple to this very powerful Roman god, Apollo, who has the sun as his thing. And God's like, yeah, you're all impressed by the sun. I own the heavens that that sun is in, and I can give any one of those planets to anybody I want to. And so I'm not just going to give you the sun. I'm going to give you the star that comes even before the sun. I'm going to give you the morning star. That our God has the power and the glory and the might. He is worthy. He is worthy just by his very nature of who he is. Now, here's something that's cool about this, this God of bronze and water. He showed up to the church in that particular age. He showed up and said, I'm standing with you, Thyatira. Thyatira's in Turkey right now, by the way. And do you know what? If you go to, to that city, there today it's called a different name, but, but if you go there, there's, a, there's ruins that you can find, not very big ones, but to that temple of Apollo. It's fallen down. But you know who still stands there with bronze feet? The church. The church is still there. And that oracle of Sybil, oh, she fell silent centuries ago. But you know who still speaks with power and authority? The church still speaks the word of God like the voice of many waters, even there. God is not going anywhere. He is triumphant. He is powerful. Our Jesus is the true immovable God. He is invincible. He is in command. He's calling us to faithfulness. But I think even more than that, he's calling us to be a witness. Did you know that our country, there's a lot of people around us that believe bad ideas about who God is? Did you know that there's, in our culture, there are people who live their entire lives completely committed to a religion that is satanic at its core, that have these deep ideas that will do nothing more but but teach them to do the exact opposite of what God calls them to? Do we love our friends, our neighbors, our family members? Do we love them enough to challenge the wrong ideas in love, but with great authority and compassion? Because this is what God is calling us to. So my answer is, how are you going to answer that call? On your connection card, I have a couple of opportunities for you to do just that. Because it takes courage, doesn't it? It takes courage. So here's some things you can do. I think the first ones we memorize Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. This is not just a message for Thyatira. This is a message for us. We have to love our world enough to speak truth. And that our God is with us even still. And he is still truth. Maybe memorizing that passage is what we need to remember and to have the courage we need to stand with him. Second thing, Would you read the letter to Thyatira? I didn't put it all on the screen there. There's a lot more to it. You want to read it? The message to Thyatira, I think, is very, it's it's appropriate for our current days and age. I challenge you to read it. It's right there on your your connection card. The the verse is there. It's in chapter 2. The next thing I ask us to do is to pray for five. And and that goes back to our church's strategy to saturate our valley with the good news, the, the hope and the joy of Christ Jesus. And we started that a couple years ago, and we're continuing to do it. And part of our, our, our strategy of taking five, what we're doing is, is we're praying five days a week together as a church. Because this is not us that is going to, to, to go into this community, do something to build our church. We want to be faithful and allow God to come into this community so his grace and his love and his mercy can, can reach into every human heart that's here. And so if you join us in praying, and if you wonder what those are, I think it's on the back of your yellow thing on your connection card, or we've got a bunch of these little uh, 
bookmark type things and they're in the, uh, all scattered throughout the church. But if you need one, but just pray five days a week. And we're praying for things like our, basically what God's ministry for us, but, but our families and our family ministries, our community. Uh, and part of that are five people also where we would like to invite. And these are going to be people that you know who don't know Christ yet. So pray for them. And that God gives you the words and the opportunity to challenge the very things that are destroying them. Would you commit to praying? Praying for five. And the last thing is just to stand firm and to hold on. Maybe for you, this is really hard. Because being faithful to Jesus is not just about being part of a good church and being healthy and growing and letting your good works grow. But it's about bringing the gospel outside the church. And, and that's holding on. That's, that's difficult stuff. And for you, maybe this is to say, God, I'm not going to compromise your truth by just being silent. And to pray for those opportunities, be bold when they come. And to make that commitment even today. Say, Lord, when you give me opportunity, I will, in love and in truth, <laughs> challenge the things that are hurting those around me. So I've given you four things to do. And I hope that you would do at least one, but all four is better. If you wouldn't mind, take those connection cards, even if you don't have any commitments that are on there, but if you tell me what those are, it's helpful because I pray for you each week. But if you take those and drop them in the offering basket as it's passed, one, that lets me know you're here so I can pray for you throughout the week, but two, it helps me pray for your, uh, for your commitments. On there is also a chance to write your commitments or your prayer requests on there. Take that, drop it in the offering basket as it's passed along with your tithes and your offerings. I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to pray for you first, and we're going to give you a minute to fill this out, and then we're going to conclude with a song of of commitment. So let's pray. Father God, you are the powerful God of all the ages. You are good and you are right. And I love the Lord that, that, uh, that uh, you have told us that you stand amongst us with bronze feet, that this world's never going to get too hot for you. Lord, you stand with us in our pain and our suffering and our difficulties and you don't run, that you are pure and that you're never going to be contaminated by this broken world, that you are the one true real God and that you speak with absolute authority and power because you see truth. You are truth. Lord, we're grateful that you would call us to your family. So, Father, I pray a blessing over this congregation. Help us to be faithful to you. Give us courage, Father, as we continue to serve you in, in the name of Christ. Father, take these commitments that we make today. Draw us closer to your heart so we can love this world like you do. And that we could be a faithful witness for you even here. We pray all of this in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus.